I was asked to uh, just, as Luke and Sarah said, about introducing um, the topic of Pentecost because uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. Well, I never knew that. Um, I, I didn't grow up with all the, the kind of um, religious calendar dates and everything else. So Christmas was a given. Um, Easter was kind of there, uh, but it's a bit of a cheeky monkey that just keeps moving around. So I never quite know when stuff is, and I certainly didn't know about when. I know about Pentecost, the event and stuff, but I didn't quite know where it was. And in Google calendars, it's called Whit Sunday, which is even more confusing. So um, uh, I had to do a little bit of work. Uh, which uh, hopefully will serve as a bit of an introduction to um, to where I want to come to in, in Acts chapter 2 and the first few verses there. So uh, Pentecost, uh, well, I didn't know what it meant. Uh, Pentecost, it just means 50th. It's the 50th uh, uh, of the celebrations in the Jewish calendar, a lot of celebrations, Pent, Pentagon and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, it isn't, therefore, firstly, a New Testament celebration. Now, we would think Pentecost and we think outpouring of the Spirit. We think New Testament. Actually, its roots are in the Old Testament. And uh, it was uh, as an Old Testament celebration. It was a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So people bring that and celebrate God's faithfulness uh, in, in, in the wheat harvest. It was called the Day of the First Fruits in Numbers 28, uh, which I... I um, I love when I come across, stumble across things in the scriptures and it was called the day of the first fruits, as is the Holy Spirit to us. Here's the day of the first fruits. Here's the down posit guaranteeing that which is to come. And I love that. Nobody knew that. They didn't come to Jerusalem for that. They came to Jerusalem to celebrate the wheat harvest. They came to, to Jerusalem uh, because also they celebrate uh, the giving of the law uh, uh, in Pentecost as well. It's called the joy of the Lord day as well. So there's this uh, rich Old Testament kind of um, uh, history around uh, Pentecost. Pentecost. So as we settle down to Acts uh, chapter 2, it's good to know that we're not just starting with a new thing. It is the beginnings of something, but it's also the culmination of, of, of a great deal. And, um, and uh, so it's important that we understand it in that way. Um, Acts is um, Acts is not the book that we should turn to because the church is getting a bit stuffy and we need to spruce it up a bit. Uh, Acts is the second of Luke's books and he writes to Theophilus and in the first of his books in his gospel, he gives an account of the, who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's doing and, uh, and what it means to have the kingdom of God among you. And this meticulous doctor, he, he, he brings all that together in his first book to Theophilus. And then as he's journeying with the disciples, he does the same with the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts in and of itself is not a, a, a first, first port of call. It's a continuation of something. It's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus in Luke's gospel uh, and the continuation of the ministry of Jesus after he's ascended to be with the Father. And um, I don't particularly like the, the, the title of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it's not part of the canon of scripture, so I can choose to not like it. Because uh, I think actually it's much more appropriate to understand the book of Acts as the, uh, the continuation of the Jesus ministry. That, that's what it is. And it is the Jesus ministry that continues in his absence. He is at the right hand of the Father. He pours out his spirit and his ministry continues. And so it's a much better way to understand, in my opinion, you can disagree. But in my opinion, it's a much better way to understand the book of Acts. Not firstly as the activity of men 
but firstly as the activity of Jesus Christ who continues, who is not dead, he is alive, he is risen, and the Isaiah 61 ministry that is upon him, that continues to be upon him, because the brokenhearted remain brokenhearted in our world, and because the, the blind remain blind, and the year of Jubilee has not yet come to millions, and so he remains anointed in Isaiah 61, which he claims for himself in Luke chapter 4, as he unfold, uh, unfolds the scroll and, and reads out and, and stands in that dramatic moment, says, today, this uh, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He is the one anointed. And so the book of Acts is, is much better understood as the continuation of his ministry. And uh, Acts is like a kind of hinge in the Bible. Uh, it's the moment where Old uh, Testament uh, 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 covenant is fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled in him. And as, he, uh, as we read about him in these opening verses in, in uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, the, uh, the, the book is like a kind of hinge that is the doorway into the new covenant. And, uh, and particularly with, uh, uh, within Acts Pentecost, this moment of outpouring, this is the hinge moment. This is the point where old covenant is completely fulfilled and the new covenant is completely released upon a people uh, 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 that God has chosen and called. And so as we come into Acts, it's good to come into it. Uh, with a little bit of that understanding, um, on Wikipedia, I think it just says it's the start of the church. Well, it's much more than that. <laughs> it's much, much more than that. And, uh, uh, and it's really important that we understand it in that way. Um, uh, Jesus, the promise keeper, he never says anything he don't mean. And he never ever says anything he won't do. And he has promised to be with the disciples. He promised he would never leave them. And he wouldn't leave them as orphans. They've left family and they've left livelihoods for him. Uh, and, and he promised, I will not leave you. But they have experienced that. They watched him walk and they watched him carry and they watched him hang and they watched him die. And then uh, as a result of that, they are broken as a result. There's, there's not a lot of hope in them at that point. Uh, they've, they've literally fellowship with God, literally fellowship with him. Uh, they can't go back to the synagogues and to the and to the uh, to, to it. They can't join another rabbi and expect it to be the same. They fellowshiped literally with God, and they knew Him as that. By the end, certainly they knew Him as that, but they didn't understand the death um, in the way that he, even though He tried to uh, help them with that. Um, they followed Him. They watched Him die. And so, in Luke uh, chapter twenty-four, uh, verse thirty-six to thirty-eight, it says, "While they were after Jesus has died." And he's begun to appear uh, to the disciples as, as, as the resurrected Jesus. And while they were still talking about uh, his appearance on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. And they were troubled and they were fearful and they were uh, 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 certainly at the point where he was dead. Uh, they, that, that was game over for them. And so it is impossible to underestimate the power of the resurrection to these early disciples. The resurrection what is what placed them in Jerusalem at this point. The resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that he appeared to them, the fact that he demonstrated his, uh, his life, the fact that he's, um, yeah, he's alive, is what has woken in them faith. It's why they've gathered in Jerusalem, because he's alive. It's impossible to underestimate uh, the resurrection at this point. For their experience of the resurrection, different hours, 
They saw him physically. They saw him. And our experience of the resurrection is, uh, uh, I guess, in the main, pretty different to that. Uh, and so it's a beautiful part of the narrative that we, we see the effect, actually the power of the resurrection, what that can do. And it can take people who's, who, who, who in a condition of hopelessness where dreams are dead. But no, no, he's alive. He's alive. And so his promises continue. He's not, they haven't died with him. He's alive. And so they've, they've, they're, they're stirred now, uh, the disciples. Uh, this little group is alive. And so they are told uh, to wait. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, uh, during the 40 days after his resurrection and, and these appearances to the disciples, uh, while staying with them, uh, it says he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, and not, not many days from now. So wait, 10 more days it was, about 10 days. Um, wait for the fulfillment of the promise. The trouble is Jesus didn't say 10 days, he just said a few more days, just a bit more waiting, a bit more waiting. Jesus didn't say 10, he said a few more. We would like to know. I'd like to know it was 10. That's what, nine sleeps, is it? And then it's eight sleeps. I'd like to count them off. We in the main aren't so great at waiting in an open-ended way. I guess most of us gathered here today, we're not farmers. We're not uh, seasonal people who, who put stuff in the ground and then are subject to the elements. And, uh, you know, what are you know, heavy rain today, who seeds will soon be sprouting. And, and people who are accustomed to, to waiting and patience, that's not most of our lives. Most of us, we meet deadlines, we meet and we continue to meet and we're driven by uh, the need to know how long, <laughs> how long, how many sleeps, when do we get there, what time? And, uh, and Jesus just says a few more days. What's that, three? It's not two, because that's a couple. Three's, three's a few, but four's a few. A hundred is a few. What, what is a few more days? I don't know. Uh, but they're told to wait, and they do. And it's good uh, that they do. Um, and, uh, and it's not in this, the, it's really in this period. Um, I don't think that it's intentional, but certainly what is happening is their capacity to simply believe, just to sit tight and believe. Jesus said, I won't leave you, but he's gone at this point. They've watched him go. He's ascended into heaven. And, and he says, I won't leave you, but he's left them. But I will give you the Holy Spirit, but a few more days. And, and, and there is this, uh, uh, this period where, is he really going to do what he said he would do? It's not unkind. It's not, it's not an intentional thing to kind of test us, will we pass or fail? But it is a growing within us, the capacity to take Jesus at his word and to trust him and to keep trusting him and to keep trusting him. Three, four, five, six. How many more days? Well, I don't know, maybe a few more. He said a few. And so they sit and they wait. And, uh, and it's good that they do. It's been a bit of a personal journey for them, but it's been a journey for a people, for a nation, actually. It's been a journey for humanity up to this point. Um, the, 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 uh, what happens at Pentecost is, is not the beginnings only of something new. It is, it is the restoration of something that was lost. And so from the moment Adam and Eve exchanged uh, a life of dependence on God, to one of independence, humanity has journeyed and God has driven that journey. 
God has been unwilling to simply uh, exchange uh, a fellowship with, 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 with Adam, with Eve, with that which he loved and created and said was very good. He's been unwilling to simply live with separation. And so the very first words Adam ever hears is be fruitful. Be fruitful. Adam and Eve made in his image equally, in his image, called to, to dominate and subdue the earth and be fruitful. It's the first thing they hear. God, fellowship with God, be fruitful is what they hear, but they exchange it for independence and fear and shame. And, uh, and it's that lovely moment just before they, 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 they leave the presence of God. They were with God. They knew what it was to be in communion and fellowship with God. But then there is a separating and then they leave. And before they go, naked as they are, it, there's this beautiful little part of the story where, where God takes animal skins and, uh, and, and makes for them clothes and covering them. And it, our Old Testament mind would understand, actually, uh, and it's true in the story of the prodigal son that uh, when the, it's a bit weird in the prodigal son, when he comes back and, and he's stinking from pigs on a long journey and he's given new robes, you think, well, have a bath first. That would make more sense. But it isn't about looking nice. The robes signify inheritance. They signify that, that, that you belong and that there is inheritance that you are going to come into. And so God makes for them clothes at the beginning, despite all that's happened. But they go and there is a separation that happens in terms of fellowship between man and God. But God pursues and God will not have it. And so God says to Satan, the woman that you have tempted from her womb, her offspring will bruise and crush your head. From the very beginning, God makes his plan and his intentions very plain. That this fellowship that has been separated will one day be fully restored. It will be restored. I will not have it. I will not live with it as it is. They will be drawn back into fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit and humanity drawn together in communion once more. And he makes it very plain at the beginning of Genesis in Genesis 3.15. And so the journey begins. And then there's Noah, a righteous man who, who gets drawn into the purposes of God. And then there's Abraham, a moon worshipping nomad who God calls and God, God, just, God blesses him. The word means to, to, to kneel and to embrace. God knelt and embraced him. As a man and said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I'll make you a father of nations and you'll bless. Uh, I shall bless you and you shall be. Uh, and the nations and families of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Isaac, the son, uh, and then to Esau and Jacob, uh, Jacob, the trickster, getting, a, uh, getting his brother's inheritance. And Jacob and his story of wrestling with God. And Jacob becomes Israel and Israel's sons become a nation in Egypt and they grow and they thrive. And they multiply and it's wonderful. And then Pharaoh changes and it's a disaster. And the people of God groan out to God and God will not have it. He will not have a people that he's chosen just to be left. And so he takes a man, Moses, Moses from a basket, Moses down a river, Moses in a palace, Moses who retains his sense of being a Jew, an Israelite man. And yet, and yet filled with all sorts of tensions and, and things that he's not yet grown out of or grown into. And he murders a man and he spends 40 years away and God calls him. God, God arrests him with a burning bush and said, you, Moses, you are my man. And an anointing and a calling and a presence of God on a man to fulfill a, a function, to, to lead a people out of slavery because God will not have it. He will not remain separate from his people. And so God chooses Moses. God leads, uh, uh, sorry, Moses leads the people out and then there is the giving 
of the law. And there is the giving of God's words to Moses. And he's up a mountain, there's thunder and lightning, and around the base of the mountain, they have to wait, waiting, there's waiting. And they wait, but, they but they, they've lived in a land filled with many gods, gods of the frogs, gods of the alligators, gods of the rivers. So they make for themselves a golden calf. That's what they used to do. That's what their, their life was like. It was surrounded by many gods. And, they, and, and Moses comes down and, uh, <coughs> and, and he sees it. And it's just a devastating moment. And so God chooses Moses to lead them. And, he, and, uh, and they, they wander, as you know, through the desert. And eventually Moses brings them to the promised land, sees it, don't come into it. Joshua takes them in uh, through the, uh, through the uh, 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 Jordan. And with them, uh, they enter another land that is flowing with milk and honey and, and, and many gods. And the people of God are faithful and faithless and faithful and faithless. And into, into the period of the judges where there is a God raises up, God's presence comes upon a man or a woman, a Deborah or a Samson, uh, in order to bring a leadership, a Gideon, to lead the people of God back into fellowship, back into uh, some form of fellowship with him. Uh, at this point, we have the, uh, um, the, the Levites functioning as a, as a priesthood, a, a nation, a, 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 a tribe within a nation who function as, as those who are going to mediate between God and, and his people. And within that, there's these beautiful moments of Ruth and just wonderful, faithful family moments of God, uh, of people who just simply love God in a simple way. <laughs> and, uh, and yet it's in a context of, of up and down and up and down in, uh, in, uh, in Judges until finally when the word of the Lord is rare, uh, uh, Hannah crying, longing for a child, waiting for a child, waiting, longing and pouring her heart out and, and promises, God, give me a child and he'll serve you and he'll be set apart for you. And, and God does and, and, and Samuel is born and Samuel grows in the dysfunctional house of Eli. Um, but he's a young man anointed and called and blessed. And the spirit of the Lord is upon him to lead the people. He's a prophet who's going to lead the people. And the people are surrounded by nations. They've got kings. We want kings. Samuel's not entirely happy about that because they don't need a king. They have the Lord. The Lord, their God, is their king. And so he struggles with this idea and eventually he gives way in this Saul and it's a Shakespearean tragedy. And then there's David. And in David, there is a man who are something after God's own heart, but he's, he's this reckless kind of guy as well. His faith is reckless at times. And yet he's, this, he's a heart man. He's confident in the mercy of God. He's able to restore things personally. He's able to find uh, um, um, within God what he needs for a multitude of mistakes and a multitude of needs. And God finds in him a, a, a man through, who, who brings unity to, to, to his people. And David said, well, let's, uh, you know, it's not right for you to live in a, in, a, in a tent, Lord. I Look at where I live. Let's build for you a, a wonderful house that your presence might be uh, with us, that you might have a permanence among us. And God said, no, not to you, David. Your hands covered in blood, your soldier at heart. No, no, your son Solomon. And so Solomon is the one chosen to, uh, to build a, te a, a temple, a temple that God is going to dwell in, 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 in the city, among the people. And, uh, but at this point, the nation is already dividing. David's household was a bit of a mess. And so we have northern Israel, we have southern Israel. A divided kingdom becomes a conquered kingdom. And so following Solomon, we have uh, the Babylonians uh, in 580 BC. 
and um, and uh, and they're taken away, and they 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 take out everything out of the temple. It's all in ruins again. And then we have the Persians, and and uh, within that, there's a glimmer of goodness because Nehemiah is sturdy, cupbearer to the king, and the walls are down, and the temple has been ruined. And the presence of God, we are the people of God. We long for the presence of God, and so and there's this moment of of good things. As, as, the, as things are restored and Ezra reads the law and there's great weeping because they're the people of God and because the presence of God is supposed to be with the people of God. And, and, and there is this restoration of something. Why? Because God will not have it. He will not have it that, 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 that he and his people will be separate. He will not. And so we, we find in, in this period of, again, where, where Israel is, 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 is overcome, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, and this, this wonderful period, uh, but it doesn't last. And there's the period between the Testaments, 400 to 20 B, uh, 420 BC, through up to uh, into the New Testament. And we've got Alexander the Great, we've got the Greeks. And, uh, and at this point, most Jews are, are not living in, in the Promised Land. They're, 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 they're disparate. Uh, they're proselytes, uh, many those who are not Jewish by uh, ethnicity, but have come to faith uh, and come to um, uh, and have adopted uh, Judaism as their faith. And so me- most people are not living in Jerusalem or in Israel at this point. They're scattered elsewhere because they're a nation that has been uh, uh, overcome and, and sort of uh, drawn into um, uh, other nations. And finally, uh, we have the Roman uh, the might of the Roman Empire in 63 BC. There was a lot of waiting. 4,000 years or so. 4,000 years. This isn't just a personal journey for the disciples. Ten more days. This has been a journey of 4,000 or so years where God is unwilling to be separated from mankind. He doesn't need us. There's not some lack in him. He's not embarrassed about a creation project that's gone wrong. He will not be separated from mankind. He is absolutely intent on restoring fellowship with us. He's perfectly content, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he will not uh, allow us to live independent of him because he loves us and because we've been created to know him. And there are 4,000 years of waiting that lead up to this point of Pentecost. That's the significance of the day. That's the significance of the moment. It exists in a Christian calendar and we celebrate something that happened a couple of thousand years ago because it was the beginnings of the church. It wasn't just, it wasn't really the beginnings of the church. The beginnings of the church happened in Genesis 3 at the point where God said, I will not settle for this. And so there will come one who will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel on the cross, but he will disarm you. And he will take away your power. And these people will come into freedom. Though they have a bent for for slavery, they seem to just find themselves going back more and more into slavery. They will be a people who come to to a victory and enjoy the victory of what it is to be uh, released from oppression and to come uh, out of bondage and to come into freedom. And God is intent on that. Ten more days. It wasn't just 10 more days. It was the culmination of a 4,000-year journey. <coughs> and so Jesus, the promise keeper. Um, and now we're in Acts chapter 2. We're ready to come into Acts chapter 2. 
<laughs> and so verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, it says in verse one. Uh, who, are the, who are the they? Well, it's likely to include the 11 uh, of the apostles and uh, uh, less, less Judas, of course, Matthias, who was chosen to replace him. Um, uh, the women that traveled with Judas were so vital and integral uh, to his ministry. Uh, Mary, of course, and Jesus' brothers and, and dozens of others. That's the kind of number. That's the sort of the, the, the group size and the, and the makeup of the group. That's the they in verse one. And it says they were all together. <clears throat> and the phrase all together is it's the same uh, Greek word that's used in Acts chapter one, verse 14. And there you read all those, uh, all these, those who were returning to, to Jerusalem were with one accord. And that phrase, they were with one accord. It's the same word that's used here in, uh, in verse one, where it says they were together. They were together physically. And it was important for this, actually, that they were, because Jesus had told them to wait. It's, the surroundings are, are unimportant. Unless Jesus says, you need to wait here. And then it's important that you wait. It's important. And so they were together. But there was something more than that. Uh, they, they, they were of one accord. It's the same word. It carried the same sense as it carries in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 14, that they were together in heart and expectation. They, there was, a, there was a, a, a collective expectation that Jesus was going to deliver, that what he said he would do, he would do. Because he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm the good shepherd, not the hired hand. I'm the good shepherd. I don't leave my sheep. The Lord is still my shepherd. And so they waited with expectation that he's, he's gone. He, he's physically not present any longer. And he wasn't at this point. And yet he promised them that I will never leave you, that I will give the spirit and pour him out on you. And so they were together in one accord. And there was an expectation of faith and hope rising uh, within them. Togetherness, expectation and heart unity. This is the context uh, for receiving uh, uh, the Holy Spirit in this moment. Um, and it was the resurrection of Jesus that, 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 that grew this within them. Without seeing him, I don't think that they would be there. And it, and it is impossible to uh, overstate the importance of the resurrection to, these, to this group. Um, their dreams had died with him, but then he was alive. And so his promises live. And so they are together with one accord, hopeful and expectant in verse one. And then in Acts two, uh, sorry, next verse, verse two, uh, it says, suddenly uh, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled, uh, filled the entire house where they were sitting. Waiting does finally end. And when it does, it's often sudden. You think, wow, it's a long journey. <laughs> oh, just arrived. Oh, just round the corner. And instantly there's excitement and there's everyone suddenly got energy after a long car journey to holiday or something. After nine months of waiting. Oh, <laughs> or for some, it's much longer than nine months. Years, perhaps. Was for Hannah, uh, is for, for others of us as well. A long time. But when it comes, it's sudden. And it was here. Suddenly there came from heaven. Um, 
I came from heaven. This is something not, not from one another. This is a ministry that is not, not from one to another. This is from him. Why? Because this is where Christ is seated. And he said, I will send. It is from him. And, and so from heaven, I know heaven, heaven is not up. There's no up if you're in Australia and all the rest of it. But we, we tend to do that, don't we? <laughs> from heaven, from the throne room, from the place where the son sits with the father and the father's placed everything in his hands. And the, and the father still wants his son to shepherd his people and to be pastor, the good shepherd to his people. And so the, the son's responsibility to pour out the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll do it. And so from heaven, there comes a sound like a, a mighty wind and a, 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 a rushing wind. And it filled the entire house. Um, it filled the entire house. And a new testament, uh, sorry, a new temple is being established at this point. Something new is happening here. They've come for a religious feast. It's, it's, it happens, it's coincided with that, this, uh, this feast of the first fruits. Now, but this is different. This is in a room. This isn't part of a, a religious uh, celebration in its, in its core. At its core, it's people just being obedient and waiting and hoping and waiting. <laughs> and from heaven, inside, women and men with new hearts, they know him. They believe in him. They believe in his death. and They, they believe in his death because of the resurrection. They've placed their hope and trust in him, and now they're being obedient to a man who died because they saw him alive, and they're waiting, and they're expectant, and they're hopeful, and they're together. But this is a new temple that God is establishing. This is nothing like what Solomon built. This isn't a temple built by the hands of men, even despite the fact that God gives all the intricate detail in Leviticus and the Old Testament. You read all of that, all the very pre the precise nature of how things are to be constructed and put together, God's hand, God's care of detail, all over it. But this temple, no man has created. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Takes a man and a woman. But we are knitted together. We are knitted together in our mother's womb by him. By him. And there is a New Testament, uh, a new temple that God is creating here in verse 2. It's helpful just to look and compare uh, with Solomon's temple. So in 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, uh, Solomon uh, has finished building. And um, in verses 1 to 2, it says, When Solomon finished uh, praying, so dedicating the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord. They couldn't come in because the glory of the Lord filled it. The glory's there, but you can't come in. You can't enter. This was the, and it was wonderful then. This was presence then among the people. This is not what's happening now. The glory of the Lord filled this temple like a rushing mighty wind from heaven. And, 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 and I don't know how it came in. It just filled the room. And they stayed sitting there. They stayed in his presence. Here, here the, 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 here the people stay because that's how it was. That's how it was at the beginning. God and man, that's how it was. And, and this is God's journey culminating thousands of years 
in this moment where finally God and man and, and Jesus has, has, has established this, where God and men can be together, but only those physically around him. Now we're about to enter a realm where anyone who believes in him, anybody who trusts in him, can sit with him, sit in his glory, sit with him, know him, be known. It's a temple, but it's nothing like what's come before. Solomon experienced the presence of God restored to the people. But the priests couldn't enter and the people couldn't enter, therefore. Uh, this group of Jesus followers, they're surrounded by glory and presence and they sit there. And fellowship is, is established, almost. It's, God's not even finished yet. He's in the same room. He's, he's in the same room. Jesus said, wait, he's coming. He's coming. And, and, and God's presence is with them. God is among them because God's, that's how God made it at the beginning. And that's how God intends it to be at the end. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And God is with them. Though Jesus is absent. And so the spirit comes. So God is with them because he promised that he would be. And he's a promise keeper. And because God's intention has always been that it will be like that, God with them. But there is still a little bit more to go. And so in verse 3, um, it says, Divided uh, tongues, of, uh, tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Fire came from heaven. And Solomon's temple consumed the offering. The offerings were, were what the people brought. They set it apart for God. It was holy in that sense. That's what the word holy means. It means separated or set apart. And fire consumed the offerings and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Tongues of fire, as of fire. In the kids, I love the kids' Bibles. It just turns people into kind of candles and it looks cool. It doesn't really matter what, what, whether it's real or not, as of fire. It doesn't, doesn't matter um, uh, what is important is what is uh, um, what is uh, what is being communicated through that. John the Baptist refers to Jesus as one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire in Matthew three. So the nature of, of, of this fire image, uh, in terms of is it real fire or not, is who cares? But what is absolutely communicated there is holiness is separateness. That's what it was in Solomon's temple. Fire came down and consumed that which was set apart. Fire is coming down and consuming, but not really. That which has been set apart, those who have trusted and believed, those who have come alive in Christ and the Holy Spirit, uh, resting on each, the fire resting on each one of them. There is a movement from the corporate to personal here. See, the history of God's people is that it began personal. It began with Adam, with Eve, and with God. It began personal. And then it becomes corporate, corporate not in a business sense, but, but in, 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 a, in a tribal sense. And so God's communion with man is through a people, through the Levites, through Aaron, through his, his uh, descendants. And God's, God's able to, a holy God and a separate people, a sinful
corporateness about that. There's a temple in the city that people can gather to. And, and if you're a, a, a um, yeah, and, and you can experience God's grace to you in that way. But God, not happy to simply keep it at that. It began personal. It began, I've made you and I want to know you. <laughs> and it must be, become that again. And so it says to each one of them, the word rested is an important word. Rested on each one, on Mary, on Matthias, just, just moments before, just chosen to replace Judas, on Bartholomew, just resting, God's presence resting on each one of them, on each of them, not on them as a group, not just presence in the room, but on each individual. Because this is the nature of it. This is the nature of God's salvation. We are not saved corporately. God can save many people in a moment, but he saves each one of us. He saves each one of us personally. And he fills each one of us personally. And he loves each one of us personally. And he calls us to be a people, for sure. But I'm not defined by the fact that I belong to a people. I belong to him personally. He is my saviour. He is my redeemer. He knows me by name. And God beginning to reestablish what was lost all the way back in Genesis. And the word rested, it doesn't mean just to kind of, you know, just sort of rest, put something down. The word rested, it's a, it's a, it's a word that's used when, when you place a crown on, 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 a, on, a, on a prince or a princess who's got about to rule. It means to appoint or to confer a kingdom on another. That's the sense of the word. There is a resting upon each one and there is the conferring of authority on each one. Not on them as a group. They're not determined by as a group that they have authority as a group because we've got one of these and we've got one of those and we've got one of them over there. And we've got these different. No, each one, each one, there is a conferring of authority. It's the same image as a crown being placed upon, yeah, as a, as a prince or a princess. It's not about the colour. It's not, you know, the gold's really working with the ermine or something. It's not because it looks good. It's about authority. It's about what this means. It's something that can't be taken from you. You can abdicate, but no one can take that from you. No one, can, if one's placed in you, that's, that's for you. That's the sense of the word God. It rested, fire rested on them, didn't consume them rested upon them and that's the idea it carries the idea of a preparation that's complete and the permanence of a position that is what is being communicated through the word rested it's not just it it was just put there god is establishing a fresh covenant here god is 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 fulfilling thousands of years of faithfulness in this moment god is breaking out upon people here personally not just corporately. God is bringing an end to a Levitical need any longer. We have one high priest. We don't need any other priests. We have one. And he's enough. He's sufficient. God bringing an end to, to that tribal mentality in that, in that way and restoring us to a place of personal salvation where I can live personally dependent. I live in community. We like, it's the beginnings of the church. So let's not miss that. But please, let's not just see corporate. Back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, I, I remember people 
been, um, you know, I remember hearing for the first time, you know, in English we have you. You means you, you means you. It's plural or it's singular. In Poland, very helpfully, we have and the, and it's, uh, it, we distinguish between one, you, or many people in a group of you. And I, I remember just the, the emphasis upon the corporateness of you, and the plurality of you. But let's please not forget that actually God is about, I know them by name. I know them by name. They know my voice because it was always like that. That was always the salvation God intended because it was always like that in the beginning. Trouble was, it was a, it was a fellowship and a relationship that was dependent upon the obedience of a man. It was never going to work. And so our second Adam, our, our great high priest, our wonderful redeemer, his life, his perfect life, wow, satisfies the whole thing. And we love the church and we love community. But within this, this, this season where we are, are, are disparate now and, and in our front rooms and looking at phones and egg cartons, <laughs> surely God would want to restore to us the great sense of you, you belong to me. Your identity is, in, is, is as a son or a daughter. I mean, firstly, and we have a, a wonderful fellowship together as a community. But that's not where I begin, because Christ has saved me, and he saved you, that you might know him, and that he might know you, and fellowship with you, because that's what he did at the beginning. He did just make a thousand people and start fellowshipping. Could have done that, I guess. I guess he could have done it, but he never did. And so he rested on each one. And then in verse 4, finally, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this gift of new fellowship with the Lord comes with a new gift. Um, the, the gift of tongues, I'm, I'm not going to go into a huge amount on that, but simply to say, simply this, that Jesus in his wisdom, he promises to remain with us, but he's going. And he promises to continue to pastor us and shepherd us and be apostle to us and to be prophet to us and evangelist to us. He is all these gifts. He is the, the anointed Isaiah 61 Messiah. He alone is that. And any gifts that we see dispersed and, and the gifts that are given to bring us to maturity and help us to grow, these are not from us and from him because of his ministry that continues in and through acts but he's absent and he chooses two things at this point one is that the presence of god will be poured out and will fill each and every one filled with the holy spirit clean on the inside trusting in the son believing in his resurrection clean and filled and gifted with the gift of speaking in another language. And it's, it's such a divisive issue in some places. For many of us, it's all we've ever known, speaking in tongues. That's all I've ever known. I didn't know church outside of a charismatic setting. There's never been an issue. But that's not true of many people I speak, particularly in mainland Europe. That's not been their story. They've been burned by crazy stuff. 
And so they, 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 they're cautious of it. And then it becomes a kind of bi bipartisan, denominational thing of speaking in tongues or should we or shouldn't we, do we or don't we. If we could just come back to the simple truth that Jesus says, I will be with you, I will not leave you, and he fills them and he gifts them. And I know that there is a uniqueness about this gift being used in this moment, and we'll just finish with that in a second. But it is the gift of speaking in other languages. Any relationship that we have that is of any great value includes shed loads more than just our words. There are the nuances. There are the things of the heart that we are able to express through, through our silence sometimes. Things that we can't bring to words. Things that we can't articulate. And those very, very close to us know that. We know. Because there's a communication other than simply our first language. And the whole purpose is fellowship. The whole point of God being with us is firstly fellowship. He doesn't call us. He doesn't need workers. He the, the good works prepared in advance for me. What, what, well, I'm not a servant any longer. I'm a friend. Jesus said that. I don't call you to be a servant. I call you as friends. I'm a son. God knows me. He knows what makes me tick. He knows what I get bored with and what excites me. Since so he prepares good things that I might come into. And they glorify him and they bring fulfillment to me. This is the fellowship that includes work. It includes serving. It includes the, 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 the advance of the kingdom. It does include that. But at its core, it was always fellowship. It began that way. I don't believe that God has sort of run out of that idea. Because it's going to end in that way. And at the end, there'll be no more faith that's required. There'll be no more Bible reading that's required. We will know him as he's known. There are things that are going to come to an end because we culminate only in fellowship. That's where it goes. And that's what it is now. And we're not yet completed because he ain't yet come back. And so he gives his spirit and he gives with his spirit the ability to commune with him with a spiritual language. And others can develop that later as you go through the book of Acts. But just to say here, um, here um, uh, it says that others in verse 6 were bewildered uh, because each one, remember they've come to Jerusalem. This is the most cosmopolitan of the celebrations. They gathered to celebrate wheat and they gathered to celebrate the giving of the law. And they hear that there are other languages being just spoken as the presence of God is upon this group. God filling them, God gifting them. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that God does that? God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you that the nations of the families and the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Is it any wonder that God chooses this time, this day of the first fruits, this celebration of the first fruits, to pour out his spirit and immediately other languages, other nations, others are gathered and are, and are blessed and are curious and are drawn in. And Peter stands and preaches and you know all of that. And so Parthians in verse 9 to 11, Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome and, and both Jews and proselytes, non-Jews who have converted to Judaism, Cretans, Arabians, they, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Is it any wonder? Because that's what he promised. That's what he said to Abraham. That I will bless you and the nations of the earth will be blessed. And in this, this hinge moment, 
this, this pivotal moment between covenants, this closing of an old covenant and the opening of a new, this closing but the continuation. It's not separateness. It's a continuation. But it's certainly the beginning of a new covenant. And those around amazed because they hear in their own language, God is good. God is to be praised. And they hear it from people sat together in a room, ordinary believers, those who trusted in him. Jesus fulfilling his promise, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. And he don't. And so he's here. And more than that, he fulfills the, the thousands of years of journeying that God has done, that God has done, actually. Story in the Old Testament we read about this. It's actually God's journey to restore to himself fellowship that is intimate, that is personal, that is pure, filled with power, authority, no longer, no longer under the, the rule and realm of the evil one, the prince of this one, no longer because Christ has disarmed him and we, we are now in Christ and together we're in the Father, he's in us. This is this day. And so wherever you are today, if you're sitting in a room, sitting somewhere, God's purpose and plan for us is that we might be filled with him. There's one unique moment called Pentecost, and it is unique, but it kind of isn't either because God has continued to pour out his Holy Spirit, usually not with tongues of fire, all the rest of it, but his presence coming and living in those who have trusted in Jesus and believed in him. Billions of us have been transformed by that and come to know him as our father, as our heavenly father, for sons and daughters in his family. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to uh, hand over to the band. Father, I thank you so much that um, you don't call us uh, to, to a program and you don't call us to, uh, to be morally great uh, in order to know you. You accept us as we are and you call us to faith in Jesus and you call us to believe and trust in him. And I thank you that in that you gift us with purity, you gift us with righteousness freely given to us, nothing that we earn, nothing that we can add to or detract from. And then you fill us with your spirit and we know you. And I thank you so much for the, uh, just the, the, the simplicity of being able to sit in our rooms even now and know the presence of God in us and with us among us because you meet here in this book in a room with more than what we are gathered now for sure and you come and power and holy spirit and you come and fill our hearts and our lives and i i just pray for us lord that we would know you richly uh, and ever more so by the holy spirit that the deep things of God, that's what you say in your word, 
Well, the, the Holy Spirit reveals and brings the deep things of God. I pray that the deep things of God in this time where we are more disparate and separated from normal things. Holy Spirit, would you bring us to the, to the deep wells of God and, uh, and enrich us? And if we don't know you, I pray that there will just be an outpouring of salvation, an outpouring of an ability to, to trust in the simple death and resurrection of Jesus and be filled. Thank you, Father. Amen.